0: It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610-KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And each Wednesday, we are here to talk to you about a particular health or medical topic. And tonight, we're going to cover a fair amount of ground on a variety of topics. We will, of course, get you updated with the very latest on the COVID-19 situation. The numbers continue to be favorable, although starting to increase in case counts. We'll tell you what that perspective needs to be. Uh, We'll also address some of the Summer safety as the weather starts to get warmer and the temperature school draw the end of school draws near we're going to talk about some public safety especially as it relates to childhood safety going over the course of the summer and in the second half of our program we're going to spend some time educating you on the warning signs and symptoms of stroke and the things that we should all be aware of and uh, adhere to uh, should we recognize them and make sure that we're acting on them appropriately but first We are going to address where we stand currently with the COVID-19 situation, and we are happy to join with uh, Heather Hill at the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, I know the past few weeks uh, we've started to see a little bit of an increase in cases. Is that to be expected? I guess, what's the perspective?
2: Sure, Jim. You know, we've expected throughout the pandemic that rates will go up, rates will go down. And lately, we've really enjoyed a long period of time where rates were very, very low. And unfortunately, they are increasing ever so slightly. And I think it's important really to look at the data and understand exactly what it means, what it tells us, what it doesn't tell us. Um, At our testing sites over the last week, there's certainly been a 15% increase in positivity rate over the previous re- weeks. But again, the numbers are, are, are pretty small, but it's something that tells us we do need to continue to be vigilant and continue to watch and see where the data is going because really it's been the last three weeks that we have started to see things inch up, inch up, inch up just a little bit. And if we continue this trend, You know, at some point, we hope not, but there's always the potential for another spike in our our case rates, you know, especially, um, you know, if another variant was to come through that was more contagious, more concerning. So we really have to keep an eye on these and help use that data to guide us in um, our daily practices. So when we look at, um, say, our PCR test rates, we've showed an increase in positivity of about a 7.2% increase over the last week. And that's um, combining both Benton County and Franklin County together. Benton County actually showed a very slight decrease, but Franklin County showed a significant increase of 41.94%. But again, you have to look at total numbers. That sounds like a really huge increase But then when you're looking at our data on our data dashboards, make sure you're looking at the actual number. And then it doesn't quite look quite as ominous as, you know, a 41% increase might sound like. So when you're looking at the data, don't just look at percents, look at total numbers. And when we look at that, yes, we're still not seeing a lot of activity in the area. But, again, creeping up ever so slightly. And then we look at our wastewater testing. And, and yeah, it is showing an increase over the last week as well. So it's important to take all of these data points, put them together, and make some decisions for you and your family and your loved ones as to how you're going to proceed with the various activities you get involved with. We know that COVID hasn't gone away. We know it's going to be with us for a while. We can't really predict in, in the future if another variant is going to come around that's going to completely changed the picture of of how we're looking right now. But that's why it's important not to lose sight of what the the data looks like and how it's trending.
1: And I know hospitalizations uh, continue to show low numbers, which is a really, really good sign as you factor it into the data that you were just referencing. What is your central level of concern right now? Where's your major level of concern?
2: You know, our biggest concern are are truly back to those most vulnerable populations that we deal with. When we look at where our outbreaks are happening, long-term care always, always comes to the forefront and we are continuing to follow outbreaks at several long-term care facilities. These are our most vulnerable patients and those are the ones that we absolutely have to get vaccinated And where we're seeing the positives is oftentimes in that person who hasn't gone on to get that second booster that's highly, highly recommended. And so if you have people who are 50 and older in your life, your loved ones, really encourage them to go get that that second booster. Again, it it could mean the difference between severe illness, hospitalization, or a much more mild case of COVID. And that's what we're trying to achieve with vaccination is to keep people out of the hospital, keep people from having severe illness. And the older you get, the more problematic COVID seems to be, and we do see a fair unfortunate number of deaths in that older population. So, you know, get those people in, get that second booster on board. And then, you know, the other place we're kind of noticing a little interesting activity is in the school age population. Again, you know, kids don't typically have a severe disease. But we also know throughout these last few years with COVID, unfortunately, some kids do die from COVID. So we can't say it's a completely benign infection in a child. Plus, children can catch it and then they can transmit it to those really vulnerable adults, whether it's within the educational community where there's vulnerable adults or in their own personal life where they have vulnerable adults, grandma, grandpa, aunts, uncles, maybe even Siblings and peers who are immunocompromised, where if they catch COVID, it could it could be very severe illness for them. And so we are seeing a little bit of outbreak activity. About four schools right now, we're experiencing some outbreaks in um, in little clusters. And you know, when we look at where this is happening, yes, there's transmission in the class. Now we know that masks are being. Um, we're not seeing mask use, and so that certainly increases your likelihood of if you have COVID, you're going to spread it to somebody else in the class. Plus, we have to remember we're at prom season, and last weekend I know there were a number of proms in our community, and that's a perfect environment to transmit this virus. You've got uh, lots of young people, close proximity to each other. Indoor environment, and again, that's a perfect environment to transmit an organism like COVID.
1: In just a minute or so that we have left with you, so is your bottom line message? I, you know, the fact that these numbers continue to stay fairly stable in a low, in a low status, uh, which is great. And is it a case? Where, and I don't want to say, is that acceptable to you? Because I know you'd prefer to have them even much better. But, but is that something we can we can be acceptable with?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it really is something you need to look at what's acceptable to your family. In the world of public health, yeah, we would like to see no COVID transmission, no COVID, but we know that's not possible right now. So, in public health, the important thing for us to do is give the best information that science has right now to give our community the information they need to make the decisions that are right for their family. Um, when transmission rates are low like this. I mean, there comes a time where unfortunately more restrictions need to happen for the good of the community. But right now we're really in a situation where you do get some choice. And our, our message is choose to be conservative with um, your risk. Don't put your family at risk, especially don't put those loved ones at risk. And make sure that you're protecting yourselves and your loved ones as much as possible, so that number one, you don't end up with severe illness in your family, and number two, we don't want to see this start to spike like it has historically within our community.
1: Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, the latest on COVID-19 in our region, and if you'd like more information, on the latest data with COVID-19, go to the health district's website, bfhd.wa.gov. Back with our next segment of Catholic On Call right after this.
3: You're listening to Cadlike On Call on 610-KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadlike On Call. Here again, Jim Hall.
1: Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation and the Weather Thankfully, is starting to warm up. I think the temperature today as we're on the air passed 70 degrees, which is awesome, and the end of school is drawing near. And this time of year in the month of May, there is a renewed focus on kids' and children's safety because obviously when kids are out of school, they have a lot of opportunity to go out and enjoy themselves, and certainly that includes riding bikes and playing sports and being out on the water. And so what we usually like to do during the month of May is really emphasize the importance of childhood safety. And we're happy to have with us is Giselle Prieto, who's a public health educator with the Benton Franklin Health District. And I know Safe Kids Week is celebrated worldwide during the month of, uh, month of May, Giselle, but certainly where we live in the Tri-Cities, there's a lot of uh, important points that we need to make sure uh, that, that the families are aware of. Let's start in the water. I know that's a real key one with the rivers and swimming pools, but certainly with the the river water and, and the importance, what what kinds of things do we need to be aware of as we get ready to enjoy the summer?
4: Yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, just uh, we want to, as the weather's getting warmer, just share some emph- emphasis on just the importance of being um, present and just really aware of our surroundings where we're around or near water, especially when we have younger children. Um, Just some quick things to keep in mind is making sure that we have our children with an eyesight and that we're aware where they're at, Um, especially younger children that aren't experienced in swimming or um, haven't maybe taken swim lessons. Um, We also want to teach children that swimming in open water is a lot different than swimming in a pool. Um, If you have like a home pool, um, making sure that there's maybe like a baby gate or just any kind of fencing surrounding. Um, And then obviously we want to know what do we do when we're caught in a situation um, when there's an emergency? Like what is the protocol? And then discussing and having those conversations with our children is very important.
1: And you raised the point whether you're on the river enjoying the the water or even the shoreline or out on a boat. But uh, you also mentioned you know people that in a swimming pool at home setting and the, the, the importance of just being aware because, uh, young kids, especially around like a pool, they can, they can, uh, they can get in that water accidentally very easily and,
4: and quietly, correct? Yeah, that is, that is correct. Also, I want to just emphasize the importance of a life jacket. Um, we do have in, locally in Benton Franklin County, we do have local loaner boards. So those of you that are going out to the water, uh, to rivers, don't have a life jacket for your children. um, There are local loaner boards where you can go and just loan a a life jacket. And then when you're done, simply put it back. So we want to make sure that we're keeping our children safe at all times. And then there is that availability if needed.
1: And those loaner boards are located Primarily at, at, at boat launches in the, around Benton and Franklin County. Is that where they're available?
4: That is correct, yeah.
1: And that's really a neat service because I know when people, especially out on the rivers, and, you know, we're in the month of May and it may seem warm, but that river water is still pretty cold and the current can be quite rapid.
4: Yeah, that that's totally correct. Yeah, it's, it, and I think that's the importance of just, kind of having those conversations with our children um, when they're younger, like, hey, the water isn't your typical bath water. It's going to be a lot stronger, especially when we're going out to those open waters where um, they may not have something to lean on or anything to be close to. um, And then keeping an eye on them at all times, making sure that that current is going to be a lot stronger, so making sure that we have them right by our sides.
1: Before we move on to bike helmets, I want to maybe step away and, uh, talk about the incidence of injury among children. It's a, across the country, it's a pretty alarming statistic, isn't it the number of children that that either uh, get injured or die from unintentional, I guess they're called accidents uh, during during uh, the course of their lifetimes?
4: Yeah, so we're just some background on injury prevention. We're aware that unintentional injuries, are the leading cause of death uh, among children from one to nine years old of age. Um, The fifth leading cause among infants under one year of age. And then one each year on average, unintentional injuries claim the lives of about about 3,100 children under the age of 10. So we're aware that this is uh, something that we should be focused on and kind of make sure that we're emphasizing the some awareness and then providing education within our communities to parents and then also our children around us.
1: And I know one issue that, that has gained uh, relative to especially unintentional deaths uh, or even some sadly intentional deaths, and that's the area of youth suicide. And so the importance of gun safety and safely storing weapons.
4: Yeah. So we have, we so we actually do have a local uh, suicide coalition it's called the youth suicide prevention coalition which focuses on um, some of those preventative matters that we could do um, one of them being locking up our either our firearms that we have in the home and then as always educating our families and just letting them know without when we have those arms in the home what what is the protocol when children see them Um, making sure that they are not displayed visibly that they're locked up um, that we have a security code hidden that the the children don't know about Um, so we want to make sure that we have and even having proper resources for them um, when a family is needing those as well
1: let's let's shift on to i know a lot of kids will be out uh, if not on bicycles but out on skateboards or other kinds of uh, vehicles with wheels. uh, Talk a little bit about the importance of of wearing helmets.
4: Yeah, so we want to make sure that, obviously, our children are always protected um, and anything we can do to keep keep them from getting injured, Um, one of those being when they're on a bike, skateboard, Maybe even an ATV, uh, making sure that they're they're being protected. Um, they're wearing a helmet. They're most importantly that they're wearing a helmet that is proper fitting. Um, one of the things I wanted to share as well, just like our, our loaner boards, we also do have uh, local helmet distribution sites where we have an in Pasco, Richland, the Parks and Rec Center, um, where somebody can actually go if they're needing a helmet. Um, we do ask like a donation, but obviously if families are not able to afford that, we're not going to turn anybody down, but they're able to get a helmet for their son or daughter. Um, we also at the health district have different toolkits, some of them emphasizing the importance of um, bike safety, pedestrian safety, um, which are easy, easily accessible for community partners to come and loan if they want to take those with them just to provide some more in-depth educational um, programs or maybe some slots for that Um, and then some awesome work that we kind of have going forward is we did receive some grant money and hopefully we'll be able to provide more educational opportunities for that Um, just emphasizing the importance of wearing um, our helmets and keeping our children safe when they're on the road or they're biking or on any kind of um, outdoor activity.
1: And I know one thing, being a parent of children when they were going through great grade school is the importance of for the parents to, yeah, it's great to have your children wearing helmets, but it's also a good thing if you yourself wear helmets is good to model for your children.
4: Yeah, I will emphasize that the most. Um, we We always tell our parents for outreach, you are the model. Anything you do, whether it's I mean, it can simply be in the car. Um, You have a teen driver. If you're not wearing a seatbelt, they're going to follow into those steps and not want to do the same because you set the norm for them. So we want to be those role models for our children, and they're watching everything you do. So let's do everything possible we can to keep them in the right direction and, and keep them safe.
1: And finally, just about 30 seconds or so, if you would, Giselle, uh, I, I did want you to have a touch. Uh, today, it's roughly 70 degrees, but I know during the course of the summer, your cars can get extremely hot, even in a day like today. Uh, so making sure that you're not leaving certainly your children or your animals in a hot car.
4: Yes. Um, as, the warm, as the weather gets warmer, um, that definitely is something that we need to keep in mind. Um, just even doing simple things, sending a reminder in your car, Hey, our destination's only this long. We want to make sure that we don't forget anything in the backseat. Maybe put your phone in the back seat so that you remember, Hey, I, I need to get my phone when I get out of the car. My child's in the backseat. Um, just setting simple reminders, um, to not forget anything or anyone, and then, um, just keeping cool as well as the weather gets warmer.
1: Giselle Prieto with the Benton Franklin Health District. Wonderful advice as we get ready to enjoy the summertime with our children and keeping them safe as they're enjoying the wonderful Tri-Cities weather. Back with the second half of Catholic Call right after this. Welcome back to Catholic Uncall, presented by the Catholic Foundation. We're going to shift our focus to the warning signs and symptoms of stroke. And we're happy to welcome back to our program a frequent guest over the years, Dr. John Matheson, the Emergency Department Medical Director at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And Dr. Matheson, thanks for taking a few minutes out of your schedule to join us tonight. And before we get into warning signs of stroke, uh, I need to begin. How are things relative to COVID in the ER and and how how's the staff doing? I know the numbers we've touched on in the first part of our program are 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 looking really strong and really low, which is a good thing. But how how's how's things going in the ERs today? Well, thanks, Jim,
0: and thanks for asking, and, and good to be with you again. Um, you know, we are seeing numbers that are closer to what we saw before we uh, ever envisioned uh, COVID or anything like it. Um, at the same time, we are still dealing with some of the impact of COVID, uh, the, the stress and the impact on, on caregivers and uh, dealing with some of that, but we are starting to see a return of volume in patient numbers, uh return of more of the typical types of things that we might see, as we've discussed in the past. Some people delayed care, and then we're seeing some of those impacts as well. But, um, you know, we are seeing things that are it's not as COVID focused as we've been for the last two years. And while we are seeing a few cases increase again, it's nothing like it it was in the past. So that uh, optimistic signs there.
1: And on signs uh, on that topic, and you touched on delaying care and, and the topic that we're going to slide into now is on the area of stroke awareness and and obviously, stroke like heart attack in in your world, it's do not delay on any kind of those symptoms. Maybe just a an, an introductory comment on on what people should really be aware of if they if they think they're suffering a stroke. Certainly, uh, and very important topic. Just as you said,
0: this is one of those areas that you don't want to delay on, uh, and certainly there are times when symptoms of stroke are quite apparent. The, the classic, somebody's having difficulty speaking, they can't move one side of their body, uh, it comes on suddenly and they're aware of it. Um, it may not be as subtle, but there are also some subtle uh, findings. Uh, it may be, you know, uh, maybe a side of the face is drooping a little bit, maybe just some difficulty speaking that's not profound. Um, it could be some balance issues or issues with vision uh dizziness there are other signs and symptoms that may not be as obvious and look we're all it's natural when we have something and especially if it isn't something dramatic to maybe sit back and and think well let's just kind of ride this out let's see what happens i don't feel too bad right now but stroke is one of those conditions where In some cases, we need to act and we only have a short time to do so. It doesn't mean everybody who has a stroke or stroke symptoms uh, will receive the same treatment because there are a lot of factors that go into that decision. But to give yourself as many options and potential for treatment and recovery, we need to see you quickly. And that means getting to the hospital right away and calling 911, this is one of those times where it is absolutely appropriate and recommended to call the ambulance. I know my, many people don't want the drama and don't want to cause, a, you know, don't want to be a burden to anybody or to the system and, and, and ambulances seem like a big thing. This is one of those times when it's very appropriate.
1: So don't drive yourself, right?
0: Uh, don't drive yourself. Uh, and generally, i wouldn't even have you say i like love I, I would drive. recommend having somebody else drive you um if you think that you're having a stroke, you need to get in right away and when you come by ambulance as well, the uh paramedics that are there can initiate some treatments they can initiate an assessment they can alert us and we can be prepared and uh because every minute counts in 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 some of those situations, and again, not every stroke is the same, but you may not know that and probably won't know it until we can do more of an evaluation and determine that we can't tell you right off the bat what it's going to be, and so getting that evaluation started then opens
1: up opportunities for treatment and i and I understand there's a medication. Uh, to your point about really being, get there, acting quickly, is there's a, a medication that is, that can be quite effective in, in dealing with a stroke, but it's certainly, it's time sensitive as far as when it can be administered or how soon it can be administered?
0: Yes. And, and there are different types of stroke. Uh, but when we're talking about a blockage of a blood vessel in the brain, that is, again, uh, Blocking blood flow to part of the brain, that brain tissue is at risk or, or dying, uh, we need to reverse that. And there is a medication that can dissolve the clot. Again, I want to be be clear, not every stroke should have or even can have that treatment. But those that do need it, that needs to be done in a brief in a, in a short period of time it can only be done in the first few hours uh, and after that it's not even an option because the risk uh, it becomes a greater risk to give it than it is not to and so uh, those who wait and see lose the potential treatment in that case there may be some other things that can be done uh, and as I said not every stroke I don't want I don't want to give the the impression that everybody who comes in with a stroke is going to need that medicine because that's not the case either, and I think some people expect that that's going to be the case, and there are times when it is not appropriate to give. But it is important to get in, let us get that evaluation, determine if you meet those criteria and if it can be safely given and have that potential impact. Also, it is not a guarantee that it's going to fix things It improves your chances, but it is no—it's not a—you know—it's not a miracle drug that's going to fix everybody either. And so, putting those, um, having that understanding is important. But it does give you the best opportunity and the most options if we get to you early.
1: And I know Cadillac has recently received a renewed accreditation and as a joint uh, accredited stroke center. Uh, and so I guess obviously the public should take pretty good comfort in knowing that not only from the emergency department perspective, but all throughout that treatment process for somebody who's in the midst of a stroke uh, is very well equipped to handle these types of patients. Absolutely. And
0: we can, and do, uh, take care of the vast majority of these patients. There are some that require some advanced, uh, uh, treatment that is not available at this time in our community but that is even more reason to come in because if you need that it gives us the opportunity to get you somewhere where we can provide it but the vast majority of of patients who are suffering stroke we are capable and able to treat appropriately in this
1: community. And I was going to say, before we let you go, the, the airwaves of this particular radio station that we broadcast through uh, include certainly the Tri-Cities, but many rural areas. The reach goes uh, several miles uh, into southeast Washington and northern Oregon. So some of these rural communities, so especially to your point about acting quickly, especially if you're out in a smaller community that doesn't have the type of resources and they need to get to a center like Catholic
0: that's true although i do want to make it clear you should go to the facility that if you're in an outlying area don't drive a great distance to bypass a a local hospital to get to us many of those hospitals can initiate the some of the treatments we were talking about and then move you to us uh, or another appropriate facility again you don't want to delay that care so if you are in uh, if you're Thirty minutes or an hour away from from the tri cities, go to your local hospital. They have the capability to make those assessments and decisions, um,
1: and often begin the treatment there. And if not, can get you to us faster. And again, that's that uh, communication ability, the technology that you they can be in contact with wherever that expertise is available, and, and in partnership, right? Uh, absolutely, and and again. Time is important
0: in stroke, so get there quickly.
1: Dr. John Matheson, the medical director of the emergency departments at Catholic Regional Medical Center, thanks so much for your time. We're going to come back and have another segment on this particularly important topic with the local neurologist to talk about stroke and its treatment, and we'll do that right after this. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation, and we're happy to welcome to our program Dr. Jin Zhang, a neurologist with Catholic, and we've been addressing the topic of stroke awareness, Dr. Zhang, and certainly as a neurologist, it's something that's right, um, uh, an area that's very important in your, your expertise. Maybe just an initial comment from a neurologist's point of view, what is what is the most important thing our listeners need to know about stroke?
5: Okay, thank you, Jim, and thank you for uh, this uh, wonderful program. So, um, you know, we always say um, time is the essence uh, for management of um, a stroke. So, if anyone uh, thinking about um, they might experience symptoms concerning for stroke, the timely treatment in the hospital is uh, critical to salvage the brain or minimize the brain damage. So as a neurologist, when patients present to the emergency room and neurologists were the patients, first of all, to determine what type of uh, stroke patient had. And for example, you know, we have ischemia stroke, so which is the lacking of the blood flow to the brain if one of the blood vessels is a blockage or clogged or the other type of stroke. Is a hemorrhagic stroke when the blood vessel breaking up and bleeding into the brain. So neurologists will do evaluation to determine you know, what type of stroke, and then next thing is to determine the treatment a uh, you know strategies. So and then further evaluation including what is the reason to causing all these a uh, symptoms or causing the stroke subsequently, and uh, will uh, you know give the recommendations for the management.
1: So you mentioned these two types of stroke. Is one more dangerous or more worrisome? Or are they both equally dangerous as they apply to the importance of acting on symptoms very quickly?
5: Yeah, that's a good question. So the stroke, it all, it all depends on the location, the size uh, of the stroke, of the involvement. So the brain has a, uh, many important functions if the strokes involve in the brainstem either hemorrhage or ischemia the consequences may be you know very um, dangerous and also depends on the size if you have a small size and um, versus a large size either a stroke can be serious so size and the locations are pretty critical but on the other hand hemorrhagic stroke we need to really acting fast to uh, stop further bleeding uh, if we have accumulated blood in the brain, can cause serious consequence. So, yeah, it's not a, a simple answer to that question. It all depends on the a location, the size, and the severity of the stroke. Both uh, strokes can be dangerous if not treated a timely manner.
1: There are a lot of different expertises that are part of that stroke treatment process, right? So. A, uh, obviously the first responders, the paramedics that are the, the first on the scene, and then the emergency department. So there's a lot of moving parts in the treatment side of this.
5: Correct. So for stroke walk-up, we have like a team approach. Uh, I mean, first responder from EMS and I get a patient to the hospital in emergency room evaluation. And we have a whole team, including nurses and a, 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 a technician. We'll get it to the imaging study and then... Um, of course, a, um, a physician is on top to determine what is the next step for a um, management. So, for example, if it's having a hemorrhage, sometimes a neurosurgeon will be involved. If it's just ischemia, stroke, neurology will be involved to determine whether we're using a uh, you know thrombolytic event uh, medications to uh, open the um, block the blood vessel, or sometimes we need to have intervention the radiologist involved to. Uh, open, the the blood vessels get a thrombus out. And then we have respiratory
4: therapist
5: and, and, and eventually we'll have like a, um, you know, physical therapist, speech therapist for evaluation of swallows, for uh, mobility. So it's definitely a teamwork.
1: Well, that's comforting to know that that teamwork is there. And, and the other thing that I'd like to have you address, if you could, very briefly is in some of these rural areas, and Dr. Matheson touched on it, that that if people obviously the distance away from some of these facilities, but you're urging them to get to their closest hospital and there's technology available, even isn't it like you can have a visual uh, connection right to uh, expert stroke treatment doctors like yourself, uh, uh, regardless of the time of day.
5: Correct. Uh, with the technology availability, we do have a, we'll call it a telestroke service. So, go to the closest hospital in the most emergency room can connect to the telestroke services and can have doctors on call from anywhere in the country and evaluate the patient. We have video uh, assistant and also we have you know uh, local physicians in the emergency room assist the evaluate patient. So the technology is there, so acting fast is very important.
1: And so the bottom line message then, regardless if you're in a rural area, get to that local hospital closest to you and you have a much better chance of, of really having a good outcome.
5: Absolutely right.
1: Talk to us a little bit before we go, just a few takeaway messages. Uh, if someone is sitting at home and, and worried about, and just quickly review, if you would, the symptoms of stroke that we should all be aware of.
5: Okay. So, um Pretty a, a common, we like patients to remember the word FAST. So uh, stroke depends on the location of the stroke. Many symptoms can be, uh, you know, uh, presenting, uh, suggestive of a stroke. But FAST is a very common. FAST, each letter stands for a um, particular symptoms. F stands for FACE. If a patient notice any facial asymmetry, facial droop is one of the signs. And an arm, if they have a, an arm weakness, uh, can definitely concern for a uh, symptoms of stroke. Speech involvement is also very, very uh, common to present as a uh, you know typical onset of symptoms. So, again, the fastest T is the time. So, anytime you experience a birth symptoms, symptom involving any face and arm and speech, go call a 911 uh, to get help. Go to the local hospital, process to you.
1: Perfect. Well, Dr. Zhang, thanks so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule. It's valuable information for all of us. Dr. Weijin Zhen Zhang, a neurologist at Catholic, Dr. John Matheson, the emergency department medical director. Thanks for educating us all on the warning signs and symptoms of stroke. Thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week.